0: Today's text is from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor God the emperor. Amen. That is God's word. Back in 1852, Robert C. Winthrop, who was a descendant of the Winthrop family, a one-time speaker of the House of Representatives, famously said that men in a word must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them. Either by the word of God, or by the strong arm of man. Either by the Bible, or by the bayonet. Bayonet is that sharp knife at the end of those old rifles. Speaking of bayonets, the year was 1991. I'm going to date myself now, so here we go. I was 11 years old, and the president at the time... Was the first George Bush, Herbert Walker. On December 25th of that year, Christmas Day, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev, the eighth and last leader of the Soviet Union, resigned. As a history buff, even when I was at the age of 11, I keenly remembered that moment. It was historic. Gorbachev declared his office extinct handed over power, including control of the Soviet Union nuclear missile launching codes, to the newly minted Russian President Boris Yeltsin. As I look out in the congregation this morning, I know some of you keenly remember that moment as well. Probably more vividly than I did. It was a monumental moment in history. I know that some of you here this morning... Some of the trainees here, not to point you out, but I know for some of you, you only know of a united Germany. But that also wasn't always that way. Germany was once divided. East Germany was communist, while the West was a democracy. Then in 1987, President Ronald Reagan, while in West Berlin, powerfully called for Gorbachev to tear down that wall. How do you remember that speech? Two years later, in 1989, the Berlin Wall fell, and Germany was united. 1989, that was before some of you were even born. So again, that's what happened with Germany. Germany. But then two years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Soviet Union itself fell as Gorbachev gave up power. Democracies all around the world rejoiced. And I remember being a young child, fascinated with current events, wondering when the world is going on. Berlin Wall first, now the Soviet Union. And indeed the Cold War was drawing to a close as the oppressive rule of communism was apparently beginning to end in Europe. And then Russian President Boris Yeltsin, regardless of what you think about him, and people have different thoughts, but he did once say, you can build a throne with bayonets, but you can't sit on it for long. Indeed, this Veterans Day, as Americans, we universally recognize and acknowledge humanity's innate desire for freedom. It's true. We'll follow a leader who forces us to. There's something inside of us that does not want to stay underneath such a leader for long. In today's scripture text, verse 16 talks about freedom. The word, in fact, is used right there. But paradoxically, the same verse states that true freedom comes from first becoming a slave. Do you see that in the text? God's slave. We'll unpack the doctrine in a moment, but for now, let's take a look at the rest of the text. And for all of you who've told me you want that theological principle first, here it is. You type A personalities. Submit to God by submitting to human authority figures. Submit to God by submitting to human authority figures. And I get it, even as I just said that, some of you, something inside of you goes, I don't like that. But let me go on with this message. I get this principle straight from verse 13. Verbatim, Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. The key words in that verse are the words, For the Lord's sake. When we choose to honor even difficult parents, husbands, teachers, police officers, or bosses because we're Christians, then we're actually submitting to God by submitting to human authority figures. Just as we're able to demonstrate our love for God by loving one another, someone asked me, how can I show love For God in a greater way? And the answer is, one of the most practical ways you can demonstrate your love for God is by demonstrating your love for others. For some of you, your walk with the Lord has become quite cold, probably because you haven't been loving others the way that the Lord has wired you to. But in the same manner, we demonstrate our love and our submission to God by submitting to proper authority figures that God has placed in our lives. Now at this point, the thinking individual might ask, Hold on, pastor. Well, does that mean I must submit to every authority figure, even evil ones? But perhaps the question could be put this way Does that mean I must obey every order from an authority figure? Even evil orders? Well, those are very good questions. Let's take a look at today's text for the answers. Although the text does say to submit oneself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, <clears throat> there clearly is a qualifier within the text. See if you can find it. The Apostle Peter is not going to permit evil rulers to use the Bible as justification to call people to obey their evil orders. No, he doesn't allow that. I have two reasons for believing this. First, history tells us that Peter himself believed that God's authority trumped government authority. Divine authority, in the eyes of Peter, is higher than civil authority. And so, descriptively within the text, there is an occasion where Peter himself disobeys civil authority in order to obey divine authority, thus showing me that when Peter writes verse 13 here, he does not mean every order or even evil rulers. Turn with me to Acts 4, 18-20. Acts 4, 18-20. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So here we have an excellent example of Peter informing the Jewish authorities that it is morally and ethically right to disobey a human order in order to obey a divine order. In other words, if a human command conflicts with a divine command, then the Christian is always obligated to obey the divine command even at the risk of punishment or possible death. That's simply the high cost of being a follower of Christ. Do you want to be a follower of Christ this morning? Well, it begins with faith and obedience in the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? You may have heard it before, but let me say it to you this morning. The gospel declares that there is a holy God who loves you, but he must send every sinner to hell because he is a God of justice. In fact, the justice of God helps us deeply Appreciate the love of God in a profound level that we will never appreciate unless we first grasp divine justice. But although God is a God of justice and He is morally committed to sending people to hell because of sin, and although we are sinners deserving hell because we are sinners against an infinitely holy God, God so loved the world so much that He gave His only Son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, and He died on the cross after living a sinless life for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. And three days later, He historically, not mythically, we're not here this morning, pursuing cleverly devised myths, We're here because Jesus historically resurrected from the grave three days after his death so that if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, God, and Savior, you will have eternal life. And the moment that you do is the moment you become a Christian. And that's the gospel. The second reason why I don't believe Peter is calling us to obey every order or every ruler, even wicked ones, is by looking at this text, after giving us the command to submit to authority figures such as emperors or governors, verse 15, within this very text, has a purpose clause. Why must we obey our leaders? The answer is found in verse 15. For it is God's will that we do good. There is therefore a clear expectation in the apostle's mind that leaders are to govern justly. Combined with verse 14, we can rightly conclude from verse 15 That Christians are to obey authority figures so long as the laws of the land lead to human flourishing. Government is instituted by God, not the other way around. And government is instituted by God, as verse 14 declares, to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right when government begins to inversely punish those who do right and commend those who do wrong, then that's when we have a problem. That's also when we might need to call for a change of leadership. And so for all my British friends who till this day question the American Revolution, I believe that Scripture makes a good case for it this point of my sermon, let's revisit verse 16 and ask ourselves a fascinating question. If verse 16 states that we are to live as free people, then why does verse 13 call us to submit ourselves to rulers? Well, there are two principles involved there. First, I'm not going to go deeply into this one. I'm just going to touch on that. I'm just letting you know. That submission to rightful authority is not the abdication of freedom. In our sort of Western mindsets, we tend to think that that is. But it isn't. But secondly, verse 16 is not talking about civil liberty, you see. Instead, verse 16 is referring to spiritual liberty. The truth of the matter is, we're all slaves either to sin or to God, every single one of us you d- demonstrate who your master is by your obedience if you constantly obey your sinful passions then you're a slave to sin conversely if you walk in righteousness then you're a slave to the lord romans 6:18 put it this way you have been set free from sin and so you're thinking wow that's awesome i'm i'm free and in that very same verse he goes on and he says and have become slaves to righteousness. That's Romans 6.18. You've been set free from one form of slavery so that you can be enslaved to another form of slavery. And I know we hate those words, but you have to understand what the writer is talking about there. We have become slaves to righteousness. Paradoxically, therefore, true freedom begins... When we become slaves of God, our submission to the Creator, the rightful authority over the entire universe, is true freedom. Our slavery began in the garden when we rebelled against that authority. Do you, are you beginning to track with me here? So the enemy will deceptively try to come in and tell you that freedom begins at rebellion. Without telling you that by doing so, you are actually enslaving yourself to Him. And this is why verse 16 calls us to live as God's slaves. We are all slaves. Or even this morning, as I walked in, someone preparing the food told me rightly, We are all servants. We just don't know it. It's true. Go home and chew on that. In a very good way, when we become servants of God, we also become doers of righteousness. Why? Because we're no longer enslaved to sin. If you want to see this, go to any addiction center, volunteer for a day. Uh, they'll show you what slavery looks like. That is the end product of sin. Some of you are struggling with sin right now. No one else may know about it. But you know very well that if you don't conquer those sins, it will conquer you. We're not thinking and doing the same things we once were, and we're not living in the world the way we used to when we, be- when we become saved. We are free. So essentially, brothers and sisters, 1 Peter 2 is a call for biblical self-control, the very definition of true freedom. A free man is, if uh, let me put it this way, if we are able to govern ourselves, then we are truly free. The free man is the man who is able to govern himself. And that is why I opened up with Winthrop's quote. Robert Winthrop was right. It is when we're enslaved to sin that government intervention becomes increasingly necessary. Again, government exists to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, or as Romans 13:3 puts it, "For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong." Do you want to be free and free from the one, uh, free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. I know as a parent, I realize this principle in a fresh new way with every child who gets older and older. I am able to let go of my parental control as the child shows himself or herself more responsible and, in fact, more obedient. In closing, I wish to assert that the foundation for any sound democracy is spiritual liberty. This Veterans Day weekend, I think, is a good time to reflect on that. May we never take this privilege for granted. As verse 16 states, it is when we obediently live to God's word, that's when we have true freedom. Whether unbelievers recognize our God or not, they certainly do recognize our moral compass. Verse 15 states that we are able to silence our critics, not with apologetics or smart, learned arguments, although there is a place for all of that, But in verse 15, the apostle states that we're able to silence our critics just by living godly lives without a word. And by living godly lives, we also earn the commendation of those who are in authority. So, how would you define biblical self government then? Well, one author defined it this way, and I think it's a good definition. You tell me whether or not you agree. Biblical self government is the desire and the ability to willingly submit to God given authority without being forced, coerced, or constantly reminded to do so. Sounds pretty good. Are you there? At the end of our day, our worst enemies are not those found on foreign shores. At the end of our day, our worst enemies are within. Slavery to bitterness, anger, lust, gluttony, laziness, and unbelief are far worse. This past week, the nation wept as an angry, bitter man. Went into a Baptist church and shot tens of people. In my opinion, the flags of our nation are flown half staff far too often nowadays. I think you would agree. When I was a child growing up, seeing empires fall, we never had flags flown at half staff as often as we do now. Our worst enemies, I believe, sometimes are within. Our nation desperately needs God and His Word. Our nation desperately needs freedom. A week ago, I preached a sermon claiming that true, uh, this was actually several weeks ago, not last week. I preached a sermon claiming that true happiness is found in holiness. I know a lot of young people doubt that. But as older Christians, I think we could mentor them. Our decisions matter, and happiness is indeed found in holiness, not in recklessness. True happiness begins not when a man throws off God's law, but when a man begins to live faithfully and obediently according to God's law. Our founding fathers knew this principle very well. On August 30th, 1789, in the city of New York, in his very first inaugural address, General George Washington said, and I quote, the foundation of our national policy will be laid in the pure and immutable principles of private morality. Did you hear that? And the preeminence of free government Be exemplified by all the attributes which can win the affections of its citizens and command the respect of the world. I dwell on this prospect with very, with every satisfaction which an ardent love for my country can inspire, since there is no truth more thoroughly established than that there exists in the economy and course of nature and in dissoluble union between virtue and happiness, end quote. Indeed, Washington was right. Holiness and happiness are inextricable. Let us pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Some of us may have had a difficult.